Trust his plan. This is the LifeSpring Family Audio Bible, and I'm coming to you from Riverside, California, podcasting since 2004. I'm your OG Godcaster, Steve Webb. This is the daily podcast where we're reading through the entire Bible in a year. And this is a pre-recorded episode because I'm on vacation. I should be back around the 13th. Go ahead and comment on the show notes page, though, at lifespringmedia.com s12e127 and send in your prayer requests and praises at prayer.lifespringmedia.com. I am checking my email and praying with you and for you. And when I get back, I'll try to get caught up with your comments and prayer requests on the air here. If you're in the Orlando area and you'd like to get together with me, send me an email at steve at lifespringmedia.com. Let's see if we can get something set up. Today, our reading is 2 Samuel 5 through 9, and I'm calling the episode, Follow the Directions. Let's get started. 2 Samuel chapter 5. All the Israelite tribes came to David at Hebron and said, Listen, we're your very own flesh and blood. In the past, when Saul ruled over us, you were the one who led Israel out to war and back. What's more, the Lord told you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will be Israel's leader. So all the Israelite leaders came to the king at Hebron. King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was thirty years old when he became king, and he ruled for forty years. He ruled over Judah for seven and a half years in Hebron. He ruled thirty-three years over all Israel and Judah in Jerusalem. The king and his troops marched on Jerusalem against the Jebusites, who inhabited the territory. The Jebusites said to David, You'll never get us in here. Even the blind and the lame will beat you back. David will never enter here, they said to each other. But David did capture the fortress of Zion, which became David's city. On that day, David said, whoever attacks the Jebusites should strike the windpipe, because David hates the lame and the blind. That is why people say, the blind and the lame will not enter the temple. David occupied the fortress, so it was renamed David's city. David built a city around it from the earthen terraces inward. David grew increasingly powerful and the Lord of heavenly forces was with him. Tyre's King Hiram sent messengers to David with cedar logs, bricklayers, and carpenters to build David a palace. Then David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and that his kingship was held in great honor for the sake of his people Israel. After he left Hebron, David married more secondary wives in Jerusalem and fathered more sons and daughters. The names of his children in Jerusalem were as follows, Shamua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Jephiah, Elishima, Eliada, and Eliphalet. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they all marched up to find him. But David heard of it and went down to the fortress. The Philistines arrived and spread out over the Rephaim Valley. David asked the Lord, Should I attack the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? Attack them, the Lord replied, because I will definitely hand the Philistines over to you. So David arrived at Baal-perazim and defeated the Philistines there. He said, The Lord has burst out against my enemies, the way water bursts out. That is why that place is called Baal-perazim. The Philistines left their divine images behind, and David and his men carried them off. Once again the Philistines came up and spread out across the Rephaim Valley. When David asked the Lord, God replied, Don't attack them directly. 
circle around behind them and come at them from in front of the balsam trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the trees, then attack, for God has attacked in front of you to defeat the Philistine army. David followed God's orders exactly, and they defeated the Philistine army from Gibeon all the way to Gezer. 2 Samuel chapter 6 Once again David assembled the select warriors of Israel, 30,000 strong. David and all the troops who were with him set out for Baalah, which is kiriath Cherim of Judah, to bring God's chest up from there, the chest that is called by the name of the Lord of heavenly forces, who sits enthroned on the winged creatures. They loaded God's chest on a new cart and carried it from Abinadab's house, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, Abinadab's sons, were driving the new cart. Uzzah was beside God's chest while Ahio was walking in front of it. Meanwhile, David and the entire house of Israel celebrated in the Lord's presence with all their strength, with songs, ziphers, harps, tambourines, rattles, and cymbals. When they approached Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah reached out to God's chest and grabbed it because the oxen had stumbled. The Lord became angry at Uzzah, and God struck him there because of his mistake, and he died there next to God's chest. Then David got angry because the Lord's anger lashed out against Uzzah, and so that place is called Perez Uzzah today. David was frightened by the Lord that day. How will I ever bring the Lord's chest to me? he asked. So David didn't take the chest away with him to David's city. Instead, he had it put in the house of Obed-Edom, who was from Gath. The Lord's chest stayed with Obed-Edom's household in Gath for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom's household and all that he had. King David was told, The Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's family and everything he has because of God's chest being there. So David went and brought God's chest up from Obed-Edom's house to David's city with celebration. Whenever those bearing the chest advanced six steps, David sacrificed an ox and a fatling calf. David, dressed in a linen priestly vest, danced with all his strength before the Lord. This is how David and the entire house of Israel brought up the Lord's chest with shouts and trumpet blasts. As the Lord's chest entered David's city, Saul's daughter Michael was watching from a window. She saw King David jumping and dancing before the Lord, and she lost all respect for him. The Lord's chest was brought in and put in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. Then David offered entirely burned offerings in the Lord's presence, in addition to well-being sacrifices. When David finished offering the entirely burned offerings and the well-being sacrifices, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of heavenly forces. He distributed food among all the people of Israel, to the whole crowd, male and female, each receiving a loaf of bread, a date cake, and a raisin cake. Then all the people went back to their homes. David went home to bless his household, but Saul's daughter Michael came out to meet him. How did Israel's king honor himself today, she said, by exposing himself in plain view of the female servants of his subjects like any indecent person would? David replied to Michael, I was celebrating before the Lord, who chose me over your father and his entire family and who appointed me leader over the Lord's people, over Israel, and I will celebrate before the Lord again. I may humiliate myself even more, and I may be humbled in my own eyes, but I will be honored by the female servants you are talking about. Michael, Saul's daughter, had no children to the day she died. Second Samuel chapter 7 When the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, 
the king said to the prophet Nathan, Look, I'm living in a cedar palace, but God's chest is housed in a tent. Nathan said to the king, Go ahead and do whatever you're thinking, because the Lord is with you. But that very night the Lord's word came to Nathan. Go to my servant David and tell him, This is what the Lord says. You are not the one to build the temple for me to live in. In fact, I haven't lived in a temple from the day I brought Israel out of Egypt until now. Instead, I have been traveling around in a tent and in a dwelling. Throughout my traveling around with the Israelites, did I ever ask any of Israel's tribal leaders I appointed to shepherd my people, Why haven't you built me a cedar temple? So then, say this to my servant David. This is what the Lord of heavenly forces says. I took you from the pasture, from following the flock, to be leader over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you've gone, and I've eliminated all your enemies before you. Now I will make your name great, like the name of the greatest people on earth. I'm going to provide a place for my people Israel, and plant them so that they may live there and no longer be disturbed. Cruel people will no longer trouble them, as they had been earlier, when I appointed leaders over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. And the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make a dynasty for you. When the time comes for you to die, and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up your descendant, one of your very own children, to succeed you, and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a temple for my name, and I will establish his royal throne forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. Whenever he does wrong, I will discipline him with a human rod, with blows from human beings. But I will never take my faithful love away from him like I took it away from Saul, whom I set aside in favor of you. Your dynasty and your kingdom will be secured forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported all of these words and this entire vision to David. Then King David went and sat in the Lord's presence. He asked, Who am I, Lord God, and of what significance is my family that you have brought me this far? But even this was too small in your eyes, Lord God. Now you have also spoken about your servant's dynasty in the future and the generation to come, Lord God. What more can David say to you? You know your servant, Lord God. For the sake of your word, and according to your own will, you have done this great thing so that your servant would know it. That is why you are so great, Lord God. No one can compare to you, no God except you, just as we have always heard with our own ears. And who can compare to your people Israel? They are the one nation on earth that God redeemed as His own people, establishing His name by doing great and awesome things for them by driving out nations and their gods before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. You established your people Israel as your own people forever, and you, Lord, became their God. Now, Lord God, confirm forever the promise you have made about your servant and his dynasty. Do just as you have promised, so that your name will be great forever when people say, The Lord of heavenly forces is Israel's God. May your servant David's household be established before you, because you, Lord of heavenly forces, Israel's God, have revealed to your servant that you will build a dynasty for him. That is why your servant has found the courage to pray this prayer to you. Lord God, you are truly God. Your words are trustworthy, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. So now willingly bless your servant's dynasty, so that it might continue forever before you 
because you, Lord God, have promised. Let your servant's dynasty be blessed forever by your blessing. 2 Samuel chapter 8 Sometime later, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. David captured Methig Emma from Philistine control. David also defeated the Moabites and made them lie on the ground, measuring them with a rope. He measured two rope lengths for those who were to be killed, and one rope length for those who were to be spared. The Moabites became David's subjects and brought him tribute. Next, David defeated Zobah's king Hadad-Ezer, Rehob's son, as Hadad-Ezer was on his way to put his monument along the Euphrates River. David captured 1,000 chariots, 700 charioteers, and 20,000 foot soldiers. He cut the hamstrings of all but 100 of the chariot horses. When the Arameans of Damascus came to help Zobah's king Hadad-Ezer, David killed 22,000 of them. David set up forts among the Arameans of Damascus, and the Arameans became David's subjects and brought him tribute. The Lord gave David victory wherever he went. David took the gold shields carried by Hadad-Ezer's servants and brought them to Jerusalem. David also took a large amount of bronze from Teba and Barothai, towns that belonged to Hadad-Ezer. When Hamath's king Toy heard that David had defeated the entire army of Hadad-Ezer, he sent his son Joram to King David to wish him well and congratulate him on his battle and defeat of Hadad-Ezer, because Toy was an enemy of Hadad-Ezer. Joram brought silver, gold, and bronze objects with him. King David dedicated these to the Lord, along with the silver and gold he had dedicated from all the nations that he had subdued, Edom, Moab, the Ammonites, the Philistines, and Amalek, including the plunder of Zobah's king Hadad-Ezer, Rehob's son. So David made a name for himself. When he returned, he killed 18,000 Edomites in the Salt Valley. He set up forts in Edom, and all the Edomites became David's subjects. The Lord gave David victory wherever he went. David ruled over all Israel and maintained justice and righteousness for all his people. Zeruiah's son Joab was in command of the army. Ahilad's son Jehoshaphat was recorder. Ahitub's son Zadok and Ahimelech's son Abiathar were priests. Saraiah was secretary. Jehoiada's son Benaiah was in command of the Carathites and the Pelathites. And David's sons were priests. 2 Samuel chapter 9 then David asked, Is anyone still left from the family of Saul, so that I may extend kindness to him for the sake of Jonathan? Now there was a servant from Saul's house named Ziba, so he was summoned to David. The king asked him, Are you Ziba? He replied, At your service. The king asked, Is there not someone left from Saul's family that I may extend God's kindness to him? Ziba said to the king, One of Jonathan's sons is left. Both of his feet are crippled. The king asked him, Where is he? Ziba told the king, He is at the house of Maker, son of Amiel, in Lodeber. So King David had him brought from the house of Maker, son of Amiel, in Lodeber. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, he bowed low with his face toward the ground. David said, Mephibosheth? He replied, Yes, at your service. David said to him, don't be afraid, because I will certainly extend kindness to you for the sake of Jonathan, your father. You will be a regular guest at my table. Then Mephibosheth bowed and said, Of what importance am I, your servant, that you show regard for a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's attendant, and said to him, 
Everything that belonged to Saul and to his entire house I hereby give to your master's grandson. You will cultivate the land for him, you and your sons and your servants. You will bring its produce, and it will be food for your master's grandson to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will be a regular guest at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do everything that my lord the king has instructed his servant to do. So Mephibosheth was a regular guest at David's table, just as though he were one of the king's sons. Now Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. All the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. Mephibosheth was living in Jerusalem, for he was a regular guest at the king's table, but both his feet were crippled. All right, let's look real quick at chapters 5 and a little bit longer at 6. On chapter 5, Saul is dead now, and God finally puts David on the throne. Now remember, God first had David anointed king when he was just a boy, probably somewhere between 12 and 15 years of age. And we're told here in chapter 5 that David was 30 years old when he became king. So again, we see that God's promises are always fulfilled, but not always immediately. Also note that David still had to fight wars. Just because God promises something does not mean that life is going to be easy. On the contrary, growth always comes during times of testing or trial. That is what develops our spiritual muscles, our spiritual strength, our character, whatever you want to call it. With nothing to push against, we become weak and flabby. So don't complain when life gets hard. Thank God for the trials and ask Him to be with you and direct your steps through the difficulties. Trust His plan. All right, now on chapter 6, this is a difficult story for some people. Why would God kill Uzzah for merely reaching out to steady the Ark of the Covenant to keep it from falling off the cart? Let's dig into this a little bit. It's hard for a lot of people to understand God's reaction to Uzzah here, And we're told that David became angry at God for doing this. So what happened? Why did God do it? Here are the thoughts of the scholars. This is not just me talking. These are the thoughts that have come down through the years. First off, when God gave his instructions to the Israelites on how they were to build the ark, he was very clear about the most minute detail, including how it was to be transported and who was allowed to move it and who was allowed to touch it. It was never to be put onto a cart, but it was to be carried by Kohathites only. There were two poles that went through two loops on each side of the ark, and these poles were to be placed on the Kohathites' shoulders, bearing the ark between them. And no one but a priest was to touch the ark, because the ark had the very presence of God upon it. Remember, this all happened before the Messiah had come. And only the priests had direct access to God, and only priests could perform the sacrifices that could cover the sins of the people. The ark represented a holy and awesome, in the very real sense of that word, God. And God had made it very clear how it was to be honored, because it was a reflection on how they were to honor God himself. So, here in chapter 6, they put the ark on an ox-drawn cart. Well, in doing that, they were guilty of transgressing God's direct instructions. But why was Uzzah killed? Well, touching the ark was a direct violation of God's clear instruction. As I said earlier, it was only the priests that were allowed to touch it. 
It could be that God saw the condition of Uzzah's heart, that he didn't have the proper attitude toward it. It had been in Uzzah's house, after all, for some time, and he might have become indifferent to it. We must not become indifferent to God. He is God, the creator of all that is, the one who gives us life and sustains us. It could be that Uzzah had a cavalier attitude regarding God's word. He didn't think it was important to sweat the details. Maybe the reaching out to steady the ark reflected a lack of faith on Uzzah's part that God somehow needed his help. What we might want to draw from this is that we need to pay attention to what God says, and we should do all we can to be obedient to him. Yes, he is loving, and he is merciful, and we are living in the age of grace. But God is also holy, and it's important that we never forget that. It is his holiness and justice that requires payment for sin. It is his love that made a way for me and for you not to have to make that payment ourselves for our sins. It is his holiness and justice and love that required the sacrifice of his Son in my place and yours. Because of his holy and just nature, he couldn't just overlook the sin. It had to be dealt with. I'm just so thankful that God made a way for me and you to escape his wrath and that he has offered that way, that gift, to anyone. Who will receive it. What do you think? Leave a comment at lifespringmedia.com slash s12e127. Our reading tomorrow is Psalms 54 through 56. Boost! On this date in church history, January 4th, 1581, James Usher was born. He was an Anglican prelate, and he published a biblical chronology that dates the creation to 4004 B.C. Wouldn't it be interesting to know exactly how he arrived at that? Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, you are a holy God. You're a God who is righteous. You're a God of order. You've given us your word so that we can know what you require. We don't have to guess. You're not moody or capricious. You never change. But with all of that, you are a loving God, a merciful God who delights not in judgment, but in forgiveness. You proved that when you sent Jesus to rescue us from our sins by dying on the cross to save us. Bless the LifeSpring family today, Lord. Thank you for bringing them here, and I pray that you speak through me so that they can know you better. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can send your prayer requests and praises in to prayer.lifespringmedia.com. I'll pray for you in my daily private prayer time, and I'll pray for you on the show when I get back into town. It's easy to comment on the show. Just go to lifespringmedia.com s12e127. I'll read some of the comments that come in when I get back on the 13th. Until tomorrow, may God bless you richly. Thank you for being here. I'm Steve Webb. Bye.